that was good when you could close the door. <laughs> Got like a bit of a breeze. <laughs> oh, my glasses are going to steam up pretty soon, I think. Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from The Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. Welcome to this special edition of Off Book, recorded on the hottest day in the history of the universe, with our special guest host, the comedian and podcaster Sophie Hagen. Sophie was chatting to Alison Bechdel, whose graphic novel Fun Home, based on her own childhood and teenage experiences, has been turned into a musical, which is now on at The Young Vic. Well, just for... I, mean, I, I want to say for the people who don't know who you are, but I imagine quite a lot of people do. But for those of you people who don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick who introduction? Who am I? Yeah, the deep, the deep <laughs> questions first. I often wonder that. Uh, my name is Alison Bechtel. I'm a cartoonist. I wrote the book Fun Home uh, that this musical has been based on that's opening at the Young Vic tomorrow night. And it's... It's what you haven't seen it yet, but I saw it yesterday, and I'm quite blown away. Still, it's still sitting in my body. I oh. imagine you. Do you still? Feel, how do you feel now when you see it? Because it's based on your life, your youth, yes. and your childhood. Yes. Uh, yeah, I forgot to say that part. It's all. It's completely <laughs> autobiographical, which is very different uh, from watching a musical based on a book that you just made up out of your head. <laughs> this is my real life, my real family, my real self. Um, and, you know, it's been a very strange process. It's been going on for a long time. It, it's not a new experience for me anymore. I, the show first opened in 2013, so I've seen it many times since then. So the immediacy of that experience, sadly, has sort of worn away. And it's hard for me to be really, um, to feel the original, like, awe and delight and wonder that I did when I first saw the show <laughs> but um it's a really good play it really is what was it was it those feelings you felt the first time you saw your life and was it uh, exclusively up to like uh, positive feelings uh well i guess it depends on when you um you know it's all, it was a very gradual incremental process i didn't see a performance initially i heard a soundtrack mm. of like a staged reading people had done. Um, and I saw a script at the same time. And that was in 2010, so that was a very long time ago. And that experience was very deeply moving. Because I, I, I knew that Lisa Crone and Janine were working on this, Janine Tesori, the composer, were working on this adaptation, but I, I had no idea what to expect, you know? I sort of thought it would be, I don't know, maybe kind of, funny and kind of light um, and in some ways it is but it's also very emotionally powerful and I, I hadn't expected that so that was pretty intense yeah. um, well, it's intense watching it when it's not your life so I can imagine it must be slightly more intense when it is your life yes so it's your it's a, it's a, I've seen it be described as a coming of age Yes, show so for the people who haven't seen it yet so it's about your childhood and you realizing that you're gay and then your father um how close is the story to real life is it 100 percent the same well my my book is as close as i could possibly get it it feels like it's pretty accurate 
Um, and I feel like Lisa and Janine really honored the book. And um, while the play certainly has stuff in it that is made up, like there's a, a scene where the family all performs a partridge family number, like my family never actually did that, but um, it somehow all feels very uh, authentic, very, um, what's that word? Very in, in attunement with, with what, I, what the book is about. Um, so it, yeah, it, does, it feels true to me. So how, and I'm talking as a complete control freak myself, like I would find it so difficult to let other people take my work yeah. and kind of just run with it. How are you, are you, how are you with control well, you in know, general? Normally I would feel that way. Uh, now that you mention it, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I... The notion of a musical was so kind of alien to me. It wasn't like they were making another comic book out of what I what I wrote. Um, that I would not have stood for. <laughs> but um, I couldn't write a musical. I don't have any real s- stake in musicals, or I don't even understand musicals, really. So it seemed like something I could let go of, you know? Yeah. They would make something else out of it, and they did. Did you ever consider making them change the name because it is your name so it is very much a sort of a representation of no i mean for me the the power of the book is that it is not fictional it's, it's a true story and to change the names would just fundamentally you know skew that whole principle it wouldn't work anymore um you know anyone can make up a story about a young lesbian who comes out and finds out that her dad is gay and then he kills himself. Uh, but it doesn't, to me, the story doesn't really have the power unless you understand that it, it really happened. So from the moment you sat down and started working on what would eventually become this musical, I guess what my question is, because it, and I don't want to do too many spoilers for people who don't want to see it, but like uh, who haven't seen it yet, but at the end, Alison still has questions. There's a lot. Of, there are a lot of questions still about that uh, she, you, want to ask your dad about everything, because it happened so quickly at the end. The process of you initially beginning to write this, and possibly still having those questions till now, when it's almost a decade later do you still have questions um i think i i i probably still have things i don't know that i would like to know but i don't feel a need to have the answers somehow i feel like i i sorted out the whole issue for myself as much as i needed to yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting too because the just the fact of the play being out in the world and people coming to see it, people from my family, people from my hometown, I've actually heard different people's responses and they've shared information with me, stories about my father or things about my father I didn't know. Uh, so, in a weird way, the play has like um, opened up a bigger realm of knowledge about my father that I would not have had access to if there weren't this, you know, 
public space for people to tell me these stories. So when you see Alison in the musical, in the play, have this um, have all these deep feelings about uh, about your father. Do you still relate to some of the pain and the confusion? Well, in a you know, in a in a more abstract way. I mean, I wrote this book. I started writing this book when I was in my late thirties, almost almost forty, and it's very much a, a middle aged book. Um, and I just don't have the the same interests anymore. Like, uh, I don't. It's funny when you get older, you can't see it coming, but you're things change. You don't. Uh, I have different concerns now. I've I've put that to rest, you know, my, my, well, that's not completely true. <laughs> I'm working on another memoir, which goes back into my childhood, but it's not somehow as, um, well, I was going to say deep, but it's kind of deep too, I hope. Uh, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, Sophie. That's okay. That's okay. It's a, it's a tricky, uh, there's a lot of words I just threw at you <laughs> that I'm not really sure will really form into an actual question. Um, so, p- because part of this whole thing is that this is has been happening for so long, and as I said yes. to you before we we walked in, you must have answered all of these questions a million times. Yeah, yeah, it's a very strange thing to ha- be continuing to talk about this. Not not just my childhood, not just the content of the play, but the fact of the play, <laughs> my feelings about the play, and um, yeah, I have said all pretty much everything. I have to say about it, uh, unless, oh, that's probably not true. I'll probably, maybe I'll write a memoir about the whole experience of the play <laughs> at some point, <laughs> um, but I don't have that perspective yet. But it has been so odd having this, uh, I don't know, this story out there. I I haven't really found a way to describe it. At first it was surreal and exciting and, um, you know, moving. Uh, and now I'm struggling with what do I do when this story, this, you know, coming of age story is following me around when I'm almost 60 years old. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you must get a lot of people projecting as well. A lot of people going, you know, because my, and that might be because I'm um, fairly egotistical but watching it I went like oh my god oh I you know you you get this I mean since I was 10 I've been that's a lie six I've been sending emails well letters to various people on television telling them that oh I totally get you that letter (laughs) was to Will Smith uh, when I was six uh, in Danish Um, wow so you must have a lot of people as well turning your experiences into something that's so relatable to them well, you know what's interesting, Sophie, is that I, that this, a whole generation has grown up, has been born and grown up since I started writing this story God. around the turn of the century. Um, I, and that, they have become an audience for this book. I, you know, I, I didn't even see them coming. And it was, even as the play was opening, I was starting to notice, oh, there's lots of, like, young queer kids coming to this play. Wow, they seem really, you know, pretty uh, excited. <laughs> Um, so it was it was this funny twist in the culture that um, has happened through the span of this play being developed. But also in general, I mean, we, we touched upon your name being used before, but your name is huge. Like 
all you had to say is Bechdel and people are like, oh yeah, well that's a that's a whole thing. <laughs> that's a test. That's a that's something that's by putting a name onto that, I well surely that has changed something in in culture. They're making people start considering how they write. Well, I think honestly, I think the culture changed, and that's why people are talking about the Bechdel test. Yeah, you think it was that way around? I do. Well, you know, it's always hard to sort things out precisely, but. Um, should I explain the Bechdel test in case people oh, don't know what we're talking about? I assume everyone did, but yeah, probably All right. a good idea. This is a thing. It's a way to tell if a movie or a book or a television commercial or anything uh, treats its female characters fairly. So the first question is, are there at least two women in it? The second question is, do they talk to each other? Three... Do they talk to each other about something besides a man? Very simple, you know, pretty basic, simple questions, but um, many, many works of art do not meet those criteria. <laughs> and you know what? I've, I have used it in real life as well. In real life? Yeah, having had a dinner with a friend oh, two yeah. hours ago, we've not passed the Bechdel test Good yet. one. I haven't tried it in real life. Well, you might. I assume you're a better feminist than, than me and oh. my friends sometimes. Well, you know, the, and the funny thing is, I, the, I didn't sit down one day and say, "This is the Bechdel, de- Bechdel test." I make this decree. It, it somehow just came about in the culture again, in this cultural stew or machinery. I can't think of exactly the right metaphor, but um, I wrote, I wrote those that little thing that I just told you in a, one of my comic strips. I wrote for many, many years a comic strip called Dykes to Watch Out For. And that was one of my episodes, these two women trying to decide what movie they're going to go to. Um, and that was in 1985, like eons ago. And I, I almost had forgotten about that strip when in the past, I don't know, decade or so, young feminist film students started bringing up those criteria and attaching my name to it, calling it the the Bechdel rule or the Bechdel test. So it's just this funny, you know, everything's floating around out there and my name got attached to this thing, which is nice. I I don't really claim responsibility for it, but it is in complete accordance with my mission in life and in my work, you know, to create women who are full human subjects. So it's kind of cool. And that kind of goes back to Fun Home and how, I mean, as you said, those, uh, this huge queer audience coming to see it feeling so represented. And there were so many moments in it where a character says something that so many people can recognize from their real lives, like calling calling Alison a new lesbian or a little lesbian or a small lesbian. Right. Like that term of when you've just realized that you have a thing or that you are a thing and then someone calling you, oh, yeah, you're about to get into this whole thing. <laughs> That's you and your identity. Yeah. And how people, like their laughter resonated with that. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been the new lesbian or the new <laughs> person realizing this. So it was, and I love musicals, and it was the first time I watched a musical even though it's not that similar to my life, I felt so represent a scene. Maybe not even representative. Oh, I like that. It's a new. Yeah, but that's a that's a huge thing. I think there's something about the way that the play just kind of 
strips this family bare, like finds the thing there that no one's talking about and talks about it. And that's a great relief for people, I think, Mm. because everyone, many people, not everyone, (laughs) some people have have perfectly healthy, normal families. Imagine that. (laughs) Um, But a lot of people have secrets or, you know, traumatic things you're not supposed to talk about uh, in their families. And so I think it's a big feeling of freedom for everyone. And that might even be one of the main things, getting to see a, a messy family life when you're used to the good old... I was about to say Huxtables, but that's a horrific oh, example, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the good old sitcom, you know, mom, dad, kids, everyone's happy kind of thing. It was quite nice seeing... All those sitcoms were like that, though. All kinds yeah. of depravity going on. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why they're, that's why they're <laughs> funny, isn't it? <laughs> um, so go back to the fact that you've spoken about this for a lot of years now has there ever been a question that or like a topic or an angle that you kind of wanted people to ask or dive into or a thing you maybe felt like people were purposefully ignoring and not talking about that's a good question but I I feel like exhausted on this subject I can't think of anything I haven't said that I want to say about it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, don't apologize. That's absolutely understandable. Um, I want to ask, this might be a quite... Okay, so when you use cartoons, there's a a lovely scene... Oh, that's actually, that's a good question. Let's talk about the cartoon angle, because that often does not get discussed at all. Because my book is written in... It's a visual story. It's written in comic book form. Um, And... How do you make a musical out of a comic book? Um, and th- and it's not like a they, there's no use in the play of images from my work. When I, when we first started talking about this whole thing, I somehow imagined that that would happen. That part of the set would be my drawings, but it's it's not. It's a completely the musical is a completely different animal. Um, yet it maintains something of the. The thing about comics for me is it's a way to tell stories, uh, I don't know, and with a certain kind of efficiency, a certain kind of immediacy. I love ha- having both words and pictures because I can do things that I couldn't with just one or the other. And I think that the musical form is a little similar because of the way the, you know, the words that the characters are saying and the music combine. Um, they too make this sort of fusion of something bigger and more magical. Yeah, there's a point in the musical where uh, the father is, um, is ber- I want to say berage, but I'm not sure that's a word. Sometimes I make up words in my head because it's my second language. So I just assume they're words. Beraged. Um, beraged. It's not yeah. a word, but I like it. Yeah, let's make. I think it I know a word. what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> is upset with Alison yes. for. Using for drawing cartoons instead of drawing like a painting style picture, which I thought thought was beautiful because his whole thing is this um, everything has to look good and neat. Mm -hmm. And what he was complaining about was that there were too many things. It was too messy in the picture. But that was also the actual truth about his life was that it was all a bit messy. It was a bit too much (laughs) happening. It was all a bit too not neat looking. Um, is that was that sent from a real thing? Was no, it's not, and that's one of what was a really beautiful feat of writing. 
uh, Lisa just made that up out of her head. Uh, none of that ever happened, but it somehow still feels very accurate, you know? Um, Do you relate to the cartoons as being a bit messy? Or looking like there's a lot happening on a piece of paper compared to, you know, simple lines of writing or, you know, it's it's dynamic and it's busy. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but my, mine certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. I, my father was actually very supportive of my my drawing. I wasn't he. I never was a, officially a cartoonist um, before he died, so he didn't really think of me as a cartoonist. But he certainly saw my the cartoony drawings I had done all my life and was very admiring and supportive. But he would also try and steer me in certain directions subtly, like don't just draw people, put backgrounds in your drawings, you know. So I don't know, just. But somehow, it was accurate. The mm. scene in the play is is accurate, even though it never happened. Mm. So, so welcome back. Uh, we're now in. So I haven't even talked about where we are. We're in a sauna of sorts. A tiny, a styrofoam tiny sauna. Styrofoam sauna, which has been so warm. This is one of the warmest days of the year, I think. And uh, so now we turned off the lights, which is your idea to make it less. This hot. feels. Uh, I think we're, this part of the interview is going to go much better. Yeah. Now that we're in this calm, quiet, dark. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? Uh, okay. So, oh, so many questions. So I want to go back to the cartoon, the cartoon, the cart cartoons. Um, I'm just going to close my eyes and free associate like we're in therapy. Ooh. Ooh, oh, I'm on the other side of the table now. <laughs> this is so exciting. <laughs> Can I inverse you then? Um, <laughs> so why cartoons? What? Why? Why? And I guess. Um, no, let's start by why. Why was it cartoons that uh, drew you? Do you know why? I think I didn't know this at the time. As a child, I just liked to draw. I liked to make up stories. But looking back, I feel like I, I very carefully chose a way to express myself that neither of my parents could really decipher. <laughs> oh, interesting. It, I mean, both, my parents were both very artistic, very creative. My mother, they both read a lot. They both loved poetry and literature. My mom played the piano and was an amateur actress, wanted to be a professional, studied for a while, but then didn't keep doing that. My dad was this maniacal, you know, house restoration expert and gardener and design, uh, I don't know, just love design of all kinds. So it didn't leave a lot of free space for a child, <laughs> you know, but I, I found my my own little turf. And interestingly, I didn't know it, but my mother was quite a good drawer. But somehow I think she ceded that ground to me. I Later in life, she showed me a bunch of her art class projects, and she was quite good, but I never knew she could draw. Wow. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it was a way, it was my little way to express myself that neither of them could really see. Yeah, as in, would you show it to them? Yeah, they would see it. They yeah. would see my drawings. Um, uh, but I didn't really do cartoons so much as a kid. It was just mostly drawings, occasional little stories. Um. So, talk to me about 
and a bit in terms of the same thing, but about memory. Um, remembering so many things from your childhood and putting that into cartoon form. What are the kind of pros and cons of using cartoons to compartmentalize memory? One of the cons is, well, I think it, this goes for writing about your memories too, is that you somehow lose them. You lose access to their, to the power of the original memory. But I guess that's true even if you don't write about it. Every time you recall a memory, it gets diluted and changed. But drawing it really nails it down, you know? Like, I feel like I, I no, no longer really have an accurate memory of some of the things that happened because I'm remembering my drawing. So, but you must have then chosen at some point which um, aspect of the memory, which version of the memory you wanted to make the lasting one? Or was well, that out of conscious? Um, I don't, you know, the, at the phase of my life I was in when I wrote that book, I really thought I was telling the truth as if there were one true version of the story. And it was only after finishing it that I fully understood that, no, this is just my my version. My mother would have a different version. My father would have a different version. My brothers would have different versions. Um, but that being said, I did, at the in the early stages of trying to write the book, I, I had just certain powerful scenes in my head, things that had happened that I knew instinctively were part of this story. And that's just where I started. I started trying to write these hazy images into little scenes. Like the like the scene in the play where the the butch delivery woman comes into the lunch shop. Um, I knew that was part of my story. It was something that happened to me when I was actually in the in the play that you'll see at the Young Vic. This happens to the girl when she's like ten or so. But in my real life, it happened when I was much younger, four, four maybe five. Um, you know, it's almost this mythic level of memory. So I started with things like that, things that just felt very, very key. And is uh, the fine cartoons being a? I, I know. I think what fascinates me about cartoons is this snapshotty, you know, almost like a still film of you can put so much into it yourself, and it kind of builds into this own um, life. Like, do you did did you did you read other did you read cartoons before you started getting into it yourself? Like, who was your your influence? Yeah, yeah. Your... Um, well, I read lots of comics growing up. You know, c comics for little kids. I don't know if you had these in the UK. Well, you're from Denmark, yeah. right? Yeah, I don't know why um, that. Th just things like Richie Rich, Donald Duck, li little kids' comics. But I learned the grammar of comics from reading those things. And as I got a little older, I read Mad Magazine, which also you probably haven't don't have in Europe. But it was this wonderful... Um, uh, it was really good. It, it, there still is a Mad Magazine. It's a humor magazine for kids. Not for kids, but for adults, but... Mm. Um, I don't know. I remember Young it being adults. referenced in a lot of uh, a lot of American TV shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just really a great humor magazine with cartoons and s stories, spoofs of movies and 
stuff. Um, a really wonderful magazine. So I, that was a big influence. Uh, they had a whole bunch of different artists and writers. Um, and children's book illustrators were big influences on me, too. Um, did you ever read Richard Scarry's books as a kid? No, uh, I, didn't, I don't think so. He would draw all these little animals, Richard Scarry's busy, busy world. Uh, <laughs> uh, Edward Gorey, do you know his work over no, here? No, I don't. Oh, he's a wonderful, strange, macabre, uh, creepy guy who wrote these funny little illustrated stories for adults, but he also illustrated children's books, and that's how I first knew about his work. But I was just, uh, I, I just loved drawing and drawing and writing together. Wow, it's, it's I, the re one of the reasons I don't know any of these people is that, which now makes sense. My brother was into that, so that was, I stepped mm. away from that. That was, I let him have that right. as his thing, and I just stick to, to writing. Um, uh, I want to talk more about memories, because there's a, uh, I think memories are so fascinating because, you know, especially when someone has passed away and there was like the memory of you in the, of the scene with you and your father in the car when you had, you might want to, if you want to quickly explain the scenario. Sure. Um, there's a moment in my story where I, uh, my father, I'm, I'm home from college for short vacation after I have come out to my parents and told them I was a lesbian. And after I found out, after doing that, that my father was gay or, or bisexual, or in any case had been having affairs with other men for a long time. Um, but we hadn't talked about it directly. My mother told me about my father. My father knew I was a lesbian. I knew my father was gay or whatever, but we hadn't actually discussed it. So I was determined to broach the topic with him. And it was very, very hard to do. You know, I felt very uh, nervous about it. We never talked about anything real like that. So finally, it was getting toward the end of this um, spring break that I was home for. And we went to a movie together. And I just figured, this is it. This is your chance. So you have to do it. So I, they, they capture this feeling wonderfully in the play of just pl plunging into that conversation and my father's re resistance, but slow. It, it's a, it was a frustrating thing in my life because we, I felt like we didn't really quite meet. I, I did introduce the topic, but he couldn't quite really go there with me. But you did, you, you did it. I think. I, yeah. As the control, I mean, and I'm basing this on, I had the day before I moved to the UK seven, seven years ago, six, seven years ago, I had, I was in a car with my dad and I confronted him with never having been there for me as a child, which was the same in the, in the play, there's a moment where you say, you know, by the stoplights that mm -hmm. like, well, well, I'll do it. I'll do it in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. And we need to do it before this car journey ends. And he was so quiet for so long, and then he said, um, well, a child doesn't know that there's meant to be a dad, so of course it can't affect them negatively. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's, that's quite an interesting wow. way of justifying yes. it. Yes. In a very <laughs> simple kind of way of thinking, well, I can see why you'd think that <laughs> if you were, uh, I guess, a toddler. But um, I think my... 
you like watching that like two people in a car having like a deep or like an attempt at a deep conversation like that in in, in fun home it brought back memories of something else like suddenly i could remember the smell of the car oh, wow. or like the sound of other cars passing uh-huh. and it's fun how two kind of visual things can bring back something yeah quite different it is it's sort of like proust's madeleine only visual yeah you said outside that uh you like the car as a like a, a, a well, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but something about the you, oh, you're not looking at each other. Yeah, the thing about a car ride is, yeah, it gives you a certain f- freedom because you're both looking straight ahead, not at each other. But then when you watch, th- when you watch fun, and I know you've seen it now a lot of times, and you're kind of over this whole um, discussing of your life in this uh, show, but you still get to sit in the audience and look at these people playing you and your dad. Does it take, does the, watching the play still take you back? Or is it now, have you now compartmentalized this whole <laughs> story? Is it really somewhere else now? Or can you still watch it and get in touch? You know, with I, I, I hope that seeing this new production tonight will give me access again to my immediate feelings about it. Because I loved, it. you know, it was, a, it was a really wonderful feeling to see my story told so, with such accuracy and emotionality so I'm hoping that happens um, I want I want to ask you about the next thing you're working on I know uh, is that in your mind now the memoir you're writing now is that the do you have that urge to focus more on that now yes yes yeah, yeah I, it's funny I I've you know I'm not really officially I don't really officially have anything to do with the play, but it has really absorbed a lot of my bandwidth over the past several years, just, you know, having it happening in the world and, you know, coming and doing things like this, doing press for the opening here. Um, it's It takes a lot of time. It's like been, it's, it's been like having another job, you know, uh, even though I'm not, you know, it's not my play. I didn't make it. Um, it's a... F- funny job but it's yeah it's taken it's been hard to completely manage my time and to have this kind of focus and quiet that I need in order to create maybe that just sounds like a load of justification I beat myself up constantly that I'm not able to just you know okay I have a week here let's just drop in and do the work but it takes me I just need a lot of time and space before I can really unfurl yeah and you're being asked quite casual questions about what many would call childhood trauma. Yeah, you know, yeah. You get, I'm, you know, people asking quite, and I'm including myself in that quite. So open up these wounds that you already kind of put to rest when you even finish the book. Yeah, and every time I see the play, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> my father dies. <laughs> uh, um, what's um, what's the new thing? I'm writing about death. <laughs> yeah, you want to pick it up a bit. <laughs> I'm writing. It started out actually as a fun light project to sort of switch gears from these intense family memoirs, but it's turned into a meditation on mortality through the lens of exercise and physical fitness, which is something I've always done in my life. And I think the culture is sort of fixated on all these different uh, workouts and regimens. And uh, so I'm kind of using that as an excuse to talk about 
the big questions. Is that also biographical as well about your? Yes, yes. It's it's a it's actually like the whole story of my life. It begins when I was born in 1960, and it's going to come right up to the present moment, uh, following all these athletic trends, like doing downhill skiing in the 60s when I was a kid, and then doing jogging and running in the 70s. Like I I really have pretty much followed the all the cultural developments. So it's sort of a cultural history through my own personal experience. Have you learned anything from the experience of having done Fun Home, which has then been turned into this musical? Is there anything you are now doing different because of the experiences you've had with Fun Home? Well, I feel like one one thing I've the one thing I'm lear- I have learned in this life <laughs> is that you can't hang on to things and anything that gives you a sense of security or uh, what's the word? I can't think in this sauna. (laughs) Stability? (laughs) Yeah, stability. Anything that gives you a ledge to stand on, you have to let go of it. You have to jump off of it. So in a weird way, the musical has become this um, thing that I feel like I now have to let go of. You know, this is my uh, past. It's my childhood it's tempting you know I could probably milk it and go around talking about it a lot more than I do but um, I have to really just kind of let it go off on its own I think I haven't quite gotten there yet but I think I I need to what so where are you at right now in your life not even work-wise just apart from being in this I mean (laughs) I've never sweated this much in my life uh, (laughs) being in the sauna where you at just you sound content. Uh, I I want to be content. I I'm I struggle with my creative process a lot. If it's it's my goal is to get into some kind of flow, some kind of attunement with myself, and I I think I'm getting close to it. I, th- I mean, of course, creativity is never. It's not always like that. You have moments like that if you're lucky, uh, and for me, they're kind of hard to get to. So I'm hoping. I feel like I'm getting close. The, the last question I want to ask you is, um, and I have stolen this from my own podcast, but it is my favorite question. Um, so the scenario is this, okay? okay? You have just been born. You are lying in uh, the arms of yourself now. Oh. You are holding yourself now as a baby. Yeah, work with me. And uh, <laughs> you're crying, tiny Allison is crying and crying because there's lights and sounds everywhere. It's very scary. She was just in this womb and now everything seems like it's too much. So she's crying and you have to, ch- you know what's going to happen the next years of this baby's life. You know, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of lights and sounds, but it won't be lights and sounds. It'll be death and confusion and all of these things that you've been through. So you can say something to baby you that might make her feel a bit less like crying you can't change the future at all but you can say something to teeny tiny baby Allison are we assuming that baby Allison can understand yes. yeah, <laughs> adult with language with me. <laughs> creative process come on <laughs> what would you say to teeny tiny baby you uh, well I mean this sounds very trite but I would say it's going to be alright it's all it's all gonna be material. The worst that will happen 
will still be something good. Do you still need to be told that? Uh, I think I I think I know that, but I I I w- I could use some soothing. I could do with telling myself it's going to be all right more often. Although it's kind of hard to believe that right now at this particular moment in history. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Sophie. And everyone, go see the. Obviously, go see the show. We've talked enough about it, so make sure that you know that. Um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. 